0: Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by HipstersOfTheCoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at Patreon.com slash Leaving a Legacy.
1: Magic is power. Leaving a Legacy. Hello, everyone, and...
0: And welcome back to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. I'm your host, Jerry Mee. Uh, Unfortunately, tonight, uh, Pat is stuck at work. He's slaving away, burning the midnight oil. So uh, he is not here. He might be joining us later. But in the meantime, I've rounded up an awesome guest for us this week. Uh, Welcome to the cast. Eric Dupuis, how's it going? Awesome,
1: really happy to be here, thanks for having me
0: Yeah, definitely, it's first time on So I want to let the listeners kind of know a bit about you um, you're uh, pretty well known in the New England uh, scene because you are the owner and operator of ELD's Time Vault Games, right?
1: That is correct. I thought you were going to go after my age for a second there
0: because
1: <laughs> 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 you've been trading cards for 25 years, which is which is also a way you could have went.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> that, that too, that too. For uh, the wheelers and dealers of Magic, you're also pretty well known. Um, you know, quite the purveyor, collector uh, of a lot of the classic old, school magic cards and you know you opened up the shop how, how long's uh eld time vault been around for is it, it a it's year actually
1: in? yeah it's, it's coming up on a year yeah i put it off as long as i possibly could i've, I've been working with other stores for the pretty much the whole history of the game uh, most notably scholars games and uh, brockton and bridgewater mass when it was there mm-hmm. uh, i had great relationships with both of the owners and it was just time it was just time to to kind of whatever you want to call it shoulder the responsibility or or just you know be more accountable to make sure that legacy and vintage are taken care of those are my my primary focuses with magic i don't do very much with standard Uh, i'm more likely to have some old rare alpha card than i am you know some you know new common from thrones Uh, i am working to address that but i mean historically i've really just been focused on the eternal format so
0: yeah that matters to me definitely that's why I wanted to get you in here cuz yeah you do do a ton for the eternal side of the game which is awesome uh you've been buying and selling cards for years you opened up your own store and you're holding uh monthly legacy tournaments as well is the vintage tournaments monthly as well
1: they are yeah in general our uh, legacy tournaments are the first weekend of the month and the vintage is the last weekend uh, we do play around other stores, uh, of course. Like you've got, I believe you are leaving a legacy open in February. Is is the first weekend, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, that was the kind of the only weekend that we could make work. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So I'll be playing around that. Obviously, that's a uh, an event that I want to support, even if I can't attend due to having a store. Uh, I, I want to make sure that you guys are have a, a clear takeoff to be as successful as possible there. So, it's I'll appreciate uh, that.
0: But uh, yeah, I want to I want to talk about Time Belt, though because I've played at uh, a bunch of your uh, events. I try and make it out there as often as I can when my schedule permits, and you always put on an awesome time. Um, you got some great prizes there. Uh, I think what a lot of people are you're getting known for is. You do a lot of really cool uh like accessory type stuff. So like the winner of the tournament you always make a custom made uh leather playmat and then you also have each event has the the pins that are uh that come with the entry, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I do a lot of work with it's actually a CO2 laser so the, the way to think about it is like printing with laser beams it's really wild the the level of detail can be incredible and i've mostly been drawing inspiration from antiquity and you know things from the the middle ages uh, there's a lot of fairy tales and folklore that's been uh, kind of uh, done throughout the years in wood carvings and woodcuts uh plate engravings and those things translate beautifully I'm able to take them into Photoshop and uh, turn them into engravable items and just have that in leather and it's it's just really fun to kind of tie that in with a game like Magic which is, you know, building its own mythology so we're we're going to Theros, so for those, you know, events I'll, I'll be doing things that are kind of Greek themed and you know take a look at the the different myths which I, i've always been fascinated with so it, it's really fun to be able to to take that and put it in a medium that is also timeless you know leather and wood are, are things that are, are actually something that you can pass down from generation to generation unlike a lot of gaming accessories a lot of them are are disposable sadly i mean play mats are awesome but you know play mat sleeves a lot of those things we kind of use them for a while and then uh, too often they're discarded. So to make something that you can really hold on to and have it go on that journey with you as a magic player, I think is really wild.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Because you originally, you, um, correct me if I'm wrong. You started off as a carpenter, is that right?
1: Yeah. Well, actually, there was a it was a a little bit of a detour before then. So I my father was a carpenter growing up. So I, I'd always been around the trades. Uh, always helped uh, with. Any type of projects that were around the house and uh, often a little too hands on. Like he would occasionally rent a uh, a mini, uh, it's like a backhoe, it's like a cat. Mm. Um, It's a, small piece of heavy machinery and he would just let me play around with that when i was like seven years old (laughs) just Mm. in there (laughs) moving gravel around trying to pick up cinder blocks and trying to get accurate with it it was like a video game because i mean video games were super primitive back then i mean I'm, i'm like 40 now so uh you know there's what passed for entertainment back then um but yeah i grew up around the trades and uh, magic was always a, a as soon as it hit uh, i was immediately hooked i was very much into boy scouts at uh, 13 uh, i finished my eagle scout requirements got my eagle scout at 14 and magic just hit at this point where i had kind of achieved the goal of my life up until that point and <laughs>
0: you I was, peaked you peaked too soon at 14
1: <laughs> <laughs> so i was like oh this is a new thing for me to to try and conquer and I ended up moving towns and was immediately fascinated by kind of the economics of magic, how I could trade cards in between the two towns. And this is literally before the, the internet, this is early 90s. Uh, so, you know, it, it was not something where you saw, you know, online trading or anything. So it was, it was super primitive. Uh, but it's those are my earliest days. One with of Magic's.
0: One of Magic's first uh, arbitrage traders. uh.
1: Yeah, and it was, you know, I'd I'd be able to take cards back and forth, and maybe I'd get like a Sarah Angel out of it. I mean, this was pretty low-stakes stuff, uh, but I discovered early on that I was able to retain kind of all the names of all the cards and what they did, and uh, not all the players were able to do that, so I kind of had some early advantages, and uh, when I was 18... Uh, I ended up opening up a shop uh, like literally senior year, the the summer after senior year uh, with uh, yo-yos of all things. They were uh, a hot item. Your Omega yo-yos were big. And I got into that. And uh, if, if you know anything about the yo-yo business, you know it has its ups and downs.
0: And, oh, wow. oh, Oh,
1: wow. <laughs> So after it cooled off, Pokemon became the next big thing, and we all know that Pokemon is a thinly-veiled gateway drug for Magic, and that's exactly what happened. I I got back into Magic. Uh, I guess I omitted the part where my mother threw my cards away uh, in my teens. She didn't really understand what was going on she saw someone that was very very into something and you know they'd never seen anybody with that type of focus and Mm -hmm. and, you know attention to it so they they weren't having it and they used a a religious excuse to uh throw the cards away oh Uh, no
0: oh yeah (laughs) they they saw they saw unholy strength and uh, blood of the
1: martyr (laughs) yeah blood (laughs) of the martyr christopher rush that card actually was up for sale a little while ago i strongly considered picking that up but uh you know with chris russ passing sadly the uh of course his his work rightfully commands an incredible uh, premium now he he really was so important in in making the game what it was yeah uh, yeah his his daughter is uh carrying the tradition uh sierra rush is really uh, i've talked to her a few times and she's she's really wonderful so it's it is nice to see the tradition continue and uh i'm glad his work is held in such high esteem um, but after I got back into magic uh, with the, the toy shop, it was called, uh, that lasted about a year. And my family businesses, uh, we had a bunch of different things going on. Those businesses collapsed in kind of a black hole effect. And I ended up getting, that's when I jumped into the trades to uh, to pay off the family debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up paying about $25,000 uh, over the course of uh, about two years uh, towards that dug the family out of debt along of course my my father was working towards it as well uh, mm-hmm. and then after that uh, I just saved up a big bankroll and decided that partners were only good for dancing and just eventually got back into backpacking and now full circle having my own store again so it was a it was a long way to get here but it's it's nice. I mean, this is to have an anchor, to have a, a place where I'm always able to go uh, in, in just three minutes from my house. is It's ideal in a lot of ways. So,
0: you're also one of the founding members of uh, of Wormwood, isn't that correct? I've
1: always been of the mindset that it's better to get paid to learn than it is to pay to learn, and uh, that's that's kind of what happened there. Um, you know, if I've got the opportunity to take a commission to do a project like recently i had a, a crokinole board that somebody wanted me to make for their father and it came out beautifully uh probably ended up putting in uh maybe 20 hours by the time all was said and done it was a significant amount of hours there was a lot of digital design uh, there mm-hmm. were a couple of drafts but you know it was a 200 commission And the board, I mean, easily would have been a $500 board. So everybody kind of won there. I I was able to take on something, get it done in a timeline that wouldn't typically be acceptable. You know what I mean? Like if if somebody's Mm -hmm. paying for expert craftsmanship in a timely manner, like it's got to get done way faster. But I did several drafts and by the end of it came out absolutely gorgeous and he was thrilled. And, you know, it's... It's also good because it's, it's got that test. I I think about markets like you can't be too much of a donkey if you listen to the market. Like it can only let you go so far astray mm-hmm. because if you're too foolish or doing things that are too arrogant and nobody cares about, then eventually you go bust. Like if you're just sinking resources into things that are just nonsense, then eventually you just run out of money and it's a self-correcting problem. So I right. think that's kind of my general approach on things. Is uh, as long as I'm listening and you know making a little bit of money and it's viable, then it's it's difficult to go too far off the path and, and get a little too vain. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I've seen some passion projects where people get funding and they're just burning through other people's funding. And it's like, Ooh, I
0: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I just find it really nice. Cause you've been able to combine these passions of yours, you know, between woodworking and magic. Cause well, that's, that's how I first, you and I first met was, uh, I think it was at a scholars tournament, a back in 2016. And uh, the first prize for it was a uh, a wormwood deck box that you had built. Yes. Yeah, uh, I still have it. That's actually what my sneaking show deck is in right now. Is in that uh, you know beautifully made uh, deck boxes, and you you really come out with some really great, awesome products. I know uh, Wormwood kind of took off for for a while there, and now uh, the other kind of lookalikes are, are uh, also stepping in and making these like really high quality deck boxes, which is not something I think we had in the. Uh, in the Magic community on such a large scale before. I mean, there were the one-off, like, Etsy project things, but nothing of of that quantity.
1: It's true. It's true. Yeah, that that really did change the industry, getting the contract with Hasbro, uh, getting the official uh, mana symbols on there. There were a lot of steps to kind of building that niche, but uh, it seems like they might actually be done with that now. Uh, I haven't seen anything on their site, so Uh, I've actually... uh, I'm starting to build my first batch of wooden deck boxes personally, uh, they're going to be a, a different model. Uh, most of the joinery is going to be done uh, machine joinery compared to a uh, hand cut joinery. So there's a trade off there. It'll be a little bit, uh, a little bit more accurate, but it does have a different aesthetic. And the first boxes are actually going to be for the pre release for Throne. I'm sorry for Theros Beyond Death. Anybody that is going to do the Iron Man, which is our 7 p.m. Friday noon on saturday and then we have a feast a ancient greek feast 5 (laughs) p.m uh so it's like a catered thing we're having like roast lamb stuffed grape leaves it's going to look like something out of antiquity it's it's really very fun to to get this all together Uh, but anyone that does the iron man that's 120 total entry fees including the feast uh gets a deck box with it Uh, so we've got a few people signing
0: up for that and it's a nice, like, wooden, uh, like, laser-cut deck box. That's pretty yes. sweet.
1: Yep, yep. So that's going to be the the first batch. Those will be, you know... Uh alpha deck boxes whatever you want to call them patient zero i guess alpha let's go with alpha yeah uh, <laughs> patient zero uh, but yeah i think that's going to be really fun to get those out there and get feedback and kind of evolve that look and see what i can make again it's it's got to be viable i've got to do something that i can pay somebody to make if it gets successful enough i've always guarded against what i call catastrophic success if something goes really well you can't have that actually sink you and that that is something i've seen a lot of people do with kickstarters for example they'll have to spend more money to fulfill it and then it ends up failing uh, because they have to pay just too much money per unit
0: right it ends up you know the the cost of production is so much it doesn't scale well that when you try and mass produce it you end up losing money with each unit instead of making money exactly yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm interested. So were you one of the ones uh, who worked with like Hasbro licensing? Because I feel that's a perspective. Not many people uh, have had the opportunity to be in that situation. But it's something I'm sure lots and lots of people out there who have their dreams of magic based businesses, uh, you know, wanting to explore like, what's it like working with this major huge corporation to get some of these rights to uh, some of these iconic uh, symbols and characters in Magic's history?
1: It was a really uh, difficult challenge. Uh, everyone that I talked to basically waved me off. Uh, they were just like a horror story after horror story about prototyping and not being able to get the job done and being out thousands of dollars. And I don't know how they got to that point. Uh, but everything that I did with Hasbro uh, kind of built one step forward incrementally. So we we made some beautiful gifts for influencers, uh, just some very modest things. They were in, uh, tokens uh, for the, I believe it was Storm King's Thunder. And it just kind of built on top of that, Uh, time over time, showing that we were solid, showing that we'd meet deadlines, showing that we could really listen to what they were asking for and find a way to deliver. Uh, For example, the Storm King's Thunder, one of the things that we added uh, to create a ton of value uh, was this letter that we ended up printing out on parchment. So you know, as far as their cost, it's really not adding anything, Uh, but I, I took... One of the, the gentlemen that we worked with, his name was Tony. Uh, he was very tall, about seven feet tall, <laughs> tru, truly a giant and I cut a piece of paper uh proportional to a eight and a half by eleven, just scaled it down uh, so it was about three inches tall and I told him to get ink on his fingers and try and hold the paper and write a letter and As he did that, I then took it into Photoshop and it had all the big smudges. And then when we printed it out at eight and a half by eleven, it looked like a giant had written on this parchment paper.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: you know there was there was some real restraints that we had because influencers can't receive gifts that are expensive. It needs to just be a, a very small thing because obviously for, you don't want to
0: for like tax reasons or uh,
1: well, it's an ethics thing. you can't be uh, okay yeah uh, you, know, you, you can't give an influencer a gift that could potentially persuade their review of your product. Mm-hmm. So there's there are dollar limits but you know, there's no dollar value on a letter. There's no dollar value on a presentation uh, that just really creates a feel and flavor of your product uh when it's a piece of paper. So we we did a few things like that that really impressed them. And everybody over there was great. I'm not actually sure who's over there at Hasbro currently uh in in their marketing division uh but they were, they were absolutely wonderful and uh, I look forward to working with them again. That that is uh, something that i kind of thought i had checked off the list uh in getting that set up or just like oh you know working with hasbro getting to to work with magic the gathering and at this point i feel like i'm actually putting it back on the list uh just because i think it may be something i want to do uh with a a different capacity perhaps uh, with these leather play mats or, or some other some other project down the, the line but there's a lot of kind of cross-synergy between the skills that I've developed and the different games that they have with My Little Ponies and Transformers and who knows. I think that'd be something I'd enjoy doing uh, again in the future, so...
0: Nice. So yeah. So that's so the the end result of all that work with Hasbro was the um, when you were with Wormwood the uh, mana symbol deck boxes, correct? Or were, was there something else missing? But there the
1: mana symbol deck boxes uh, and then the Dungeons and Dragons products as well.
0: Oh yes, yeah. And uh, and those those came out awesome. They were beautiful. You guys did did great work on them. Um, really cool. Were they like laser laser etched the mana symbols into the wooden deck boxes? Or I'm not really sure the process. Maybe you can speak to that in a bit more detail
1: yeah we we did engravings and then we also did a uh technique that i developed where you engrave to create a mortise and then you fill it with a media so you can have crushed uh you know malachite or turquoise or bone anything like that you can actually basically create a space where the the powdered material will go and then you create an inlay out of that so you know the black mana symbol being bone for example could not possibly be more on flavor yeah i I can't confirm what type of bone it is
0: (laughs) you'll have to wonder uh but that's that's awesome so yeah some really great cool uh products came out of that and now um your new company that you started off is is it uh old gods
1: old gods is the working title yes uh that's something that we're Uh, the umbrella of leather playmats and now these wooden deck boxes that I'll be doing uh, for the pre-release. We do a lot of kind of unique things for some of our marquee events as well. So for the Throne of Eldraine pre-release, for example, uh, we did a pin set with the gingerbread uh, style men. Uh, So that was really fun. Every event someone played in, they got one of them. So it was four of them that came together very nicely. And then we did some... Uh, mugs that were uh mugs not the right word it's like a stein it's like a glass what what do you call it jerry i'm having I a would say, boomer i would say here. like a stein yeah like yeah, a stein like a glass stein uh which i engraved with the the date of the event of course the throne of eldraine is copyright or pr- sorry trademarked so you can't put throne of eldraine on there but you can put pre-release in the date and then of course my store logo anything like that uh so we kind of have all of that under the umbrella of old gods at this point and it's just a question of whether or not i put that all under the time vault moniker or or where it goes from here it's all it's all very young young love jerry it's 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 getting (laughs) sorted out yeah uh, it's changing all the time
0: yeah like we said the store's uh just coming up on a year old uh old gods is a little bit older is that correct
1: yeah actually so i i had to come up with a brand name Uh, for your Leaving a Legacy open uh, (laughs) because I saw what you were doing. You were doing a a charity event and uh, I ended up putting up a playmat. Yeah, I remember. That was a
0: sweet playmat. Was that one of the first Old Gods playmats?
1: I think that might have been the first. I'll have to go back and check, but that was it was right around that time where I was like, I need to come up with something uh, that kind of encapsulates what I'm trying to do here. And Old Gods was just the name that I just kept coming back to because I just have that connection with mythology and folklore and just kind of like the archetypal stories that get passed down through generations that always connect with people, uh, things about responsibility and, you know, people's roles and kind of how to properly conduct yourself in the world, uh, what it means to be a hero, and and all of these different things uh, just really resonate through generations. And, you know, I, I've always been fascinated by that. So Old Gods is, is what I'm working with right now and we'll see. I, I, I like it. I I do. I do enjoy, I do enjoy the name for now. So
0: yeah, it's a good name. So I, I, what I like too, is that, um, so like you have the store, which is, you know, uh an lgs uh place where people can come and play magic uh you know constantly having legacy and vintage tournaments for people to have fun at and you're also on the flip side of the coin also this kind of like manufacturing business and you can kind of like play test more or less your uh the stuff you want to come up with in the store and get like actual player reactions firsthand i think that's a pretty invaluable experience
1: oh you're absolutely right uh it is invaluable jerry the uh The most recent thing I did just on a whim were some of these, not acrylic, whiteboard elk tokens oh, they're not elk tokens they often end up elk tokens
0: they are <laughs> yes at the last uh, tournament i was at the i think you debuted those, those yes sweet yeah
1: so people are, are putting whatever they need on there uh we actually have a great new player here showing up on fridays his name's luke uh, he's i believe 12 and it's his first legacy tournaments the kid jumped right into the deep end and he is having a blast uh, the community here is just so incredible uh, I, i'm i mean I can't really stress enough. Like the the store is really just about the community. Like if you have, if if you don't have this type of community, you just don't have a store. Like you're just you're just a, a a shell. It's it's who shows up. It's who plays. It's how they treat each other. And this kid shows up. He's twelve. It's his first legacy tournaments. And the first week he was there, he had he wasn't aware that there was an entry fee. And the guy from like halfway across the room, he's like, "No, I got it." Because the kid didn't know (laughs) what to do, he was like, Like, "Fresh blood, yeah, get him in here." Yeah, he's like, "I got it, ten bucks, here we go." Absolutely, and the kid was gave him some elf cards, and then uh, the next week he came back, and players were buying him. Uh, a bunch of different stuff you know of course the lana were elvis mystics things to get the ball rolling and you know he's not getting cradles or anything quite yet uh though likely <laughs> will in time because he's really enjoying it but you know they they got him souped up and in his second week here he actually won a game which was nice. incredible and uh i think he actually might have won a, a match this past week i'll have to I'll have to confirm with him. I think he actually had six points this past week. He's been here for three weeks, and he's been improving every single week. And it's just awesome. Like, that is exactly what I was hoping for. Uh, I do a s- club here in Bellingham with their their middle school. Every Monday I go in, and, you know, we'll have in between, like, 12 and 30 kids, depending on what other clubs are going on. And we just play Magic. We give them the welcome decks, and they, they get— different things from Christmas or whatever and I'm explaining to them how their cards work and we're just jamming magic for a couple hours a week and that's I think what we need I think we need you know the the kids that are you know 10 to 12 that's a great time to be learning the game and that's it's just really awesome to see somebody stepping up and actually going to tournaments as well uh, we're going to be doing a middle school only pre-release for this upcoming set as well. It's a 4.30 on Friday. So I don't know if you've got any super young listeners, but maybe they've got uh, <laughs> brothers or sisters, little cousins uh, that might be in the area. It's the 4.30, the Friday that, th- that Theros Beyond Death drops. We're going to do a uh, age-restricted, so it's only middle school or younger. So no high schoolers, no adults playing. If parents want to hang out and just, like, watch their kids because they have no idea what this strange lgs concept is that's totally fine uh but they can't you know start smashing kids in the uh the pre-release they'll have to wait until seven o'clock and and play with the big boys but no it'll be a lot of fun uh so that's there's just a lot of things going on it's it's a lot of i'm very pro throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks and, you know, that, that's just another one. Is, is let's see what the, the community's like for this. And I, I couldn't have anticipated the success. At one point we had like 36 kids. The robotics club had canceled.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we just got like an influx like of an extra like eight
0: kids. <laughs> of course all the robotics kids are the, uh, the prime target for magic. <laughs> oh, they were so down.
1: They were so down. They were playing on the floor. Couldn't oh, have man. been happier. Just <laughs> tapping out, casting green fatties and just having an absolute ball. And, uh, yeah, it's,
0: it's, it's been a good time. Nice, so so that's where so we came to that with the uh, the tokens that you made, where it's basically like whiteboard tokens that you can erase and just turn into whatever token you want, which is handy. And I feel that's some that's kind of a a product that you wouldn't necessarily like think of offhand, but it's something that comes out of necessity. Like, what are some of the other things that you've noticed where it's you know you're building things that people actually want to use?
1: That's a good question. Things that people want to use that i wouldn't have thought of otherwise i had some cubes that's actually the first commission that i took for a uh, like a deck box is somebody was building uh, somebody was looking for a solution for their cube and again it was one of those things where i'd rather get paid to learn uh than just like do it on my own for free so i had a customer who had expectations we did uh i actually built a box got it to him used it for about a month and then the joinery that i had designed didn't really hold up as well as it should so i just remade another box and that one he's had for uh actually yeah when was it about two years ago that i got you that leather play mat it was right in that window yeah Uh, so he's had it for two years and he's been carrying his vintage cube in that and it's been just perfect for him since so yeah that was that was big and then i've got a smaller cube that i carry my popper decks in uh, I've got like a gauntlet and it's funny. I've actually been selling those. Like people just buy popper decks outright. That format is rad. Like it's, it's like legacy light, <laughs> like the elf deck. And yeah.
0: that, it's that's it's, what I heard.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. super sweet. We do like popper events, not every month, but like every month and a half or so. And we do the open, we do the leather play mats and the pins and all that. We've got one coming up uh, in like a week, two weeks, the 11th, I think it is uh, the week. Yeah. It's the Saturday before our team trio, and so popper will probably have like maybe 16 or so players team trio sold out this time again uh, we'll have like 60 players here for that that's going to be insane so that's pioneer modern and legacy and team magic is just so much fun and that just came from again just throwing stuff at the wall like i i figured i might as well be open on sundays in december i figured you know townies might come in and try and buy gifts and I mean, not really. Like, didn't really get that much in the way of people coming in buying random gifts because 95% of what I do is Magic the Gathering. Uh, a little bit here and there, which is nice. I mean, I'm certainly grateful for it and, and happy to bring gaming to people's lives. It's super important. There's a lot of lessons we learned from it, but mostly just Magic. And the the Team True event ended up being our most successful ever. We had 60 people. So many people. We actually had to have one of the tables play in the Chinese restaurant next
0: door. <laughs> That's how you know when it's a good event. When uh, you got to play in the Chinese restaurant next door. <laughs> yep, yep, it <laughs> Sold was, out. Yeah,
1: I'm, I am convinced. So what I told them, I was like, somehow I overbooked because I had multiple platforms that I was accepting payment, and I told them that I was going to pay for appetizers for the losers' table, the the lowest ranked table, and I'm pretty convinced one of the teams tanked. I'm not going to lie. <laughs>
0: <You> <laughs> they get those all-you-can-eat apps. That's just magic players <laughs> and
1: their value. Like they just they went after. it. There was. There's a serious amount of crab Rangoon's we're eating,
0: so... (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. (laughs) Um, So... That actually that brings it because so you say you're mostly magic. This is something uh, Pat and I talked about on an episode a while ago. Was um, you know we've seen tons of businesses pop up uh, based on the magic economy. You know, there's cardboard live that our friend Wilson and James you are running. Um, we've seen things like magic beard bomb, uh, is being sold, which is awesome. But do you, is there ever like kind of a part in the back of your minds that you kind of worry about putting all your eggs in one basket that, you know, you're, you're hitching your wagon to the Hasbro horse. And if something goes wrong with Hasbro, it might leave you out in the rain too.
1: I wouldn't, uh, I mean, it's, it's a something that you should always evaluate for sure. Like it would be foolish if I never considered that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I pretty much live in the secondary market, so when a new set comes out, I mean, I sell some boxes, but it's mostly to the same people. Like, it's not like, if you come in and you ask me, like, hey, I'm interested in learning magic, I'm not going to try and sell you on what Hasbro's selling. I'm going to give you a welcome deck, I'm going to show you how to play, and I'm probably going to end up selling you a popper deck, or maybe get you into commander. It just depends on your personality and what you might actually enjoy, but... I, I mean, the trick with booster packs is is kind of just getting other people to open them. Like, we, we need them in the economy. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, it's we, like <laughs> we want a lot of booster packs to be opened because that makes it so we can actually get the cards. And when they're not being opened, then you end up with, you know, like Core 20 where, like, Veil of Summer ended up being, like, 10 bucks or something before it got banned. Even still, it's retaining quite a bit of value. So it does need to be opened. It's just you probably don't want to be the one opening it unless, and this is a big caveat, unless you're getting the full utility out of it, which would be like doing a sealed deck or a draft or pre-release. Like Those are great events, and those are kind of like once-in-a-lifetime things, especially the pre-releases, where like that I totally sign off on. If somebody's interested in in opening packs and they want to do a pre-release and they want my opinion... I'll give them the thumbs up. But if somebody's just going to be tearing through packs just because they like to open them, I I usually just kind of, if they ask my advice, I'll advise them to get a better hobby. Like, that's a really expensive way to get cards. Like, you're better off just buying the singles. And, you know, you don't want to, you don't really want to train yourself to do that. Like, we're a lot more like animals than we tend to think. I mean, obviously, scientifically, we are animals. But, you know, when you think about, like, training a dog... Like, you can train yourself to, like, get that little brush off of ripping open packs. I just, I don't, I never did. And, and yeah. it served me well. Like, as a dealer, like, you know, I I got the the taste knocked out of my mouth real fast. Uh, I, I never really opened packs when I was, uh, when the game first came out because my parents didn't think magic cards were worth anything, which is comical. But <laughs> that's just how it was. Like, they were never going to buy me them. Uh, and I didn't, uh, I wasn't spending my own money on it. Um, I was you know doing the the trading and getting the singles, and then uh, once, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. I was I was gonna contradict myself and say they'd buy me garbage pale kids, but they wouldn't buy me magic cards. Like how does <laughs> how does that add up? Like I just I, I'm oh, I'm totally man. flustered now that I think about that.
0: Yeah, wow. no, it's it's true because I mean it's kind of the the one of the oldest jokes in magic is that uh magic packs are just lottery tickets for kids. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. That's a fair assessment. And you notice the welcome decks? I'm oh, sorry, the planeswalker decks. They come with booster packs because they want mm-hmm. them to be open in booster packs. They could just do like a deck and be all set, but they want people buying booster packs. And you know, unless it's a, a pre-release, it's it's just not something I encourage. We're actually doing for the people that really like opening booster boxes. We're actually doing a booster box sealed this time, so you get to open an yeah. entire box and you build a deck out of it and that's really rad. Like that is that is going to be super fun and it's kind of a like you do that once. It's like, "Oh, I remember building that deck when that set came out, and that was awesome, and I remember the type of deck it was." Like that's that's legit. I remember a league I did during Odyssey. Like I completely took all the fun out of it. I had like six innocent bloods. Like it was it was just <laughs> it was brutal, but I had a real lot of fun. Like I enjoyed it. I was probably the only one that enjoyed our matches by the end of the league cuz it was like a cumulative thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think of that every once in a while when I'm considering what to do in the store. And I was like, oh, that's something I enjoyed. Probably won't go that route because of how it turned out when I was involved. Uh, but still, <laughs> it's something I, I remember fondly. So I think when you're talking about building memories, that's fantastic. When you're talking about the scratch stick element, I'm, I'm not as big of a fan of.
0: Yeah, and it, it really is about keeping that balance because those people who like that scratch to get itch they're the ones that ensure that there are cards for the rest of us to play with and we don't have you know insanely priced cards
1: yeah or if you can get a draft ecosystem going which is a really difficult thing right now like i'll tell you most of our events here we do a wednesday night legacy we do a friday night legacy everything else kind of has a life cycle so when the new set comes out we'll get draft going and we'll do that on friday nights for a few weeks and then it, those players tend to go back into commander or legacy or whatever they enjoy more. Uh, whereas when I was coming up, I actually became a dealer because of draft. We used to draft you know, five, six times a night sometimes where it would be winner takes all. And you would do just single a limb. So you basically you'd draft. That would take probably 15 minutes max because everybody really knew the the cards. And then mm-hmm. you'd play two rounds and then you'd usually split in the finals and at that point we'd lay all of the rares, foils and good uncommons out on the table and so back then it was like invasion so like FTK was good enough to to make it in and we'd take turns picking and at that point I was like oh I really should learn the value of these cards because there's another game going on here that I'm losing at. Like, I'm winning the drafts, yes. and then I'm, like, finding out after that, like, oh, Undermine was actually worth 10 bucks and Absorb was only worth 7 or
0: whatever it was, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're also money drafting. I remember those days. Yeah,
1: so that that was great. And, you know, we'd do five or six at uh, a night, and it was just nonstop. Like, you'd lose, and you'd just jump into the next pod that was firing. So at that point, there was a ton of cards entering the ecosystem, but price packs have gone up. Uh, the The price of the packs is now four dollars. Back then, I think it was uh, it went from three dollars to like three twenty nine. Uh, so it was like ten bucks for a draft set. So you know it's been slowly creeping up, and it's it's just not the same type of game. I mean, they built two sets of Magic: The Gathering around Kamal, who is a pit fighter. Yeah. Which like <laughs> resonates with me. Like Conan's my favorite movie. Like I, I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely can get in the idea of just getting into a pit and just find out who the last man standing is. Like that is that is my mentality when it comes to playing Magic: The Gathering. If left unchecked, and you know they they gave us that run, and that was a really great time for me in Magic. It got me into being a dealer, um, but eventually I did need to abandon that mentality uh, because of the new role as a dealer. I actually remember exactly when it was. I was at a tournament that Nick Koss was running over in, uh, it was either New Jersey or New York. It was one of those states that you have to drive way too far to get to, but was happy to go for a vintage event. And I had been and a very difficult round against a dredge opponent who was flat out cheating like it was very frustrating (laughs) because vintage is like you think legacy's chill vintage is like super chill like it's like (laughs) ridiculous like everybody is just like there to have fun and this kid would like attack with his sun titan and then like post combat want to, like, bring back a bazaar of Baghdad? Like, after damage, after blocks, <laughs> after, like, everything. I'm like, what are you doing? Like he And he just, like, grab it out of his graveyard and put it into the battlefield. So I was, like, very disappointed to have to deal with somebody like that. And then the next round, I played against a great guy that I'd known for a long time. He had full power. He was going away to law school. And, you know, the type of person that may end up selling his power. And he's got Oath of Druids out, which... I guess not all Legacy players will be familiar, but if an opponent has more creatures than you, you get to flip cards off the top of your library until you reveal a creature, put it into the battlefield. So it was a golden gun version that ran Emrakul and Blightsteel Mm -hmm. Colossus. And in that deck, they ran a copy of Dragon's Breath, which is a card that returns from the graveyard when a creature that has a converted mana cost six or more enters the battlefield, and then gives it haste and fire breathing. Yep. So he triggers Oath, I say, okay, I've got, at this point, three lands out and a Jace hand. If I rip a land, I'm going to have Jace and I can bounce his creature. And he says, oh, actually, in response, I'm going to vamp tutor for the dragon's breath. <laughs> and I'm like, no. I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is actually just like as small a decision as it is to like call the judge or not. Like it was a life-defining decision. I, I just said, okay. I was like, "All right," because it's like if I because <laughs> it's
0: rigid. You're like, "All right," if I we can yeah, take that back. <laughs> yeah, if
1: I spike that, because he's not going to see it as taking it back either. He's like, "Well, the game state hasn't really changed." It's like, right. "Well, I mean, it has because you know I don't have stifle, for example. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's re- there's there's knowledge that's been gained, even if you even if you're not sharp enough to recognize what you just learned, you did mm-hmm. just get some information." So, right. I decided at, at that moment that it was more important. To keep the spirit of camaraderie, rather than take the shot that Dragon's Breath is the bottom of those three cards, and I draw my land, and I can... You know what I mean? It's like, what are the odds of me pulling this out, versus what are the odds of souring a relationship, and then him not deciding to go with me when he sells power or not turning to me when he goes to like buy his set of bazaars or whatever it is and that was a that was a difficult thing because i was i was out for blood back then man like i was i was top 10 in the world (laughs) in vintage back when they used to have the ratings i loved chasing that that was something i really wanted to end up at number one i never quite got there broke into the top five a couple of times um but you know that was something i wanted to do Was be one of the top be the number one ranked vintage player in the world back when they had the, the rating system. And, you know, I, I took it very seriously. I, I actually... I say I miss it, but... I mean, I wouldn't chase it like that now. So the, the new Planeswalker points are, are fine. Like, they... Yeah. They, they, it's, it's, it's whatever. Um, but that was certainly something that I enjoyed. I mean, it fit into the pit fighting mythos, that's for sure. hmm Right.
0: So, I do you feel that... So we kind of went on a tangent here, but uh, with the sets, like we said, you know, we started off talking about drafting. Yes. And I remember back in the day, we would draft sets much longer than I feel people draft sets now. Maybe I'm looking back on rose-colored glasses, but I just feel not only were did sets not come out as quickly, like we didn't have as many sets come out as they have these days, I just felt we were drafting sets for much longer. Do you feel like the attention span of Magic has gotten shorter?
1: Well, you're you're right, Jerry. I mean, the the draft sets, if you remember, the, the way that it works now is fundamentally different. We used to draft a set for a full year because it would come out and then there would be the second set and then the third set in the block. So if you're doing onslaught, you're doing onslaught. Uh, oh,
0: yeah, legion you're doing tri- and scourge. yeah. Tri- you were doing triple onslaught. Then the next pre-release, you were doing double onslaught, single legion. Yeah, which people always were like, "Yeah, this kind of sucks. I just want like triple legion. What's going on with this?"
1: <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. So if you went if you went triple legion, it was a disaster because it was like all right. creatures. Um, it was like
0: drafting lands, It's like the, the wizards did not intend for us to do this. No,
1: no, they absolutely <laughs> did not. Uh, and then the when the final set came out, in that case, scourge, it was like, oh, now it's time. Like, now, yeah. all of the skills that I've built over the last year, I get to—I've honed to this razor-sharp weapon, and I'm going to use it now to win. And, you know, Triple Onslaught was very different than when you added in a pack of Legions and you kind of, you know, slowly evolved. But, yeah, you were getting ready for that third set, and you knew that your your time spent drafting Onslaught originally was going to pay dividends because it was going to be around for a year. So, no, that's, yeah. that's a good point. I, I think— the, the life cycle the reason to do it is different like you're only going to be drafting it for for three months so it's almost like if you're not going to really get good at it like what's what's the point like if you're going to come in and do like a couple of drafts like a month after the set comes out it's like it's going to be gone soon anyways you know what I mean like the the next set's going to be out so like what's the point of like trying to get really good at Ravnica allegiance draft like what's what's that going to do for you at this point Right,
0: exactly. I mean, unless a format is just known for being just a really fun, really interesting draft format, that's just don't get drafted anymore like they used to. Yeah.
1: Well, I think Wizards recognizes that with their mystery booster thing that they're doing. It's essentially a chaos draft. It's what they're trying to create, except they want to sell you the packs instead of having people use packs off the secondary market. It's this amalgam of cards that are greatest hits kind of thrown together. Uh, I mean another way of looking at that is like a masters set just rebranded. Uh, but I mean it's I think the flavor that they're going for is chaos. and that's mm-hmm. also a really popular option. We just did a chaos draft here with every single master set, and it was it was fun like it was a really fun thing to, to be opening masters modern masters, masters twenty five ultimate masters, all that stuff, and to have that all tossed together in the same draft it was it was exciting. You know, to, to see what was getting pulled and to find the cross synergies between the different sets. And you know, it was a lot of fun. So I, I don't know what the answer is for, for Wizards selling packs. I think they're doing a pretty good job of it as far as I can tell. Uh, but, I mean, I'm not. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I'm not selling a <laughs> ton of them. Um, I I mostly do singles. So that's it's really my, my main thing. I sell more older packs than I do newer packs. You know, yeah. the, the only exception is Modern Horizons. Those actually still do really well. Uh, and the Japanese War of the Spark; those those two packs, uh, they they do really well for me. But everything else is just kind of okay. I'm I'm just as likely to sell Conspiracy or Masters Twenty Five or something like that when somebody comes in, than you know, Corset Twenty or or Throne of Eldraine.
0: Yeah, I I've noticed kind of a trend with stores, not just yours, but a, a lot, uh, uh, not just in New England, but when I visit other parts of the country too. It seems that Uh, A lot of stores that are really focused on the Eternal scene and building the Eternal community with these people that come week after week, um, they're doing better than a lot of these stores that were mostly focused on Standard and Limited. Like It feels like stores that were focused in that area are really struggling these days, and a lot of people have been posting about all these kind of different decisions Wizards has been making. Um, Do you feel that it's getting more and more difficult to be an LGS owner? Ah, that's a good question. I think for me,
1: the way I structured this, this store, I just needed the place to put all the magic cards. My wife's thrilled to to get everything out of the house.
0: your store is basically a storage unit that you let people hang out in. That is functionally what it is. I try
1: and make it really nice looking, but that is, that is the, the core functionality here is I have about 2 million magic cards in bulk, uh, that I had and i'm thrilled with the announcement of pioneer now like that is just a gold mine to to dig through at this point um mm-hmm. but i at this point have about 4 million magic cards at the back of the store cuz i've continued buying uh since i moved them in here and it might have been closer to 3 and 4 but you get the idea it's literal tons of magic cards and that was taking up my basement so that is now a small corner at the back of the store relative to the you know the size of the store here and then mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think getting everything out here. Just I know I can do well buying and selling cards. I've done it the whole history of the game. As long as you add value, you're good to go. And I I am very familiar with all of the older cards. I know what I'm looking at. I typically I mean I can spot a counterfeit literally from across the room most of the time. And people buy with buy for me with the utmost confidence. And I'm always buying all magic cards, which is also super important. I've been at stores where somebody comes in with a set of dual lands and the store turns them away. And it's understandable because it's not what they do. And I, I've literally dealt with those stores for most of my career buying and selling magic cards because I'd be the guy that would go there when they get the set of dual lands that they shouldn't have bought. Like they, That's not the right way to phrase it. That they cannot afford to hold on to. It was correct for them to buy but they need to get it off their books they cannot just have thousands of dollars of cards that their particular customers don't need and Mm. that's something that i think people probably miss the mark on the most when they're talking about buying and selling cards is they they don't understand their customer base they don't understand what they can buy and what they can sell and they don't adjust their prices accordingly and you know that yeah you'll run out of capital if you don't know what you're doing and your if your game plan is to pay literally more than anybody on everything all the time, you will just go broke because the person who's paying the most on a card is usually wrong. At the end of the day, like I, I've seen SCG put up a price for. Uh, I remember when they were paying like six bucks on Birds of Paradise because Noble Hierarch is rotating out of Standard, and they're like, "Oh <laughs> well, Birds is just going to be just the nut high. Like absolutely, Birds is going to just dominate." And I sold them probably, like, 100 birds of paradise. (laughs) I was like, do you you want these foreign ones too? Like, here you go. Like, literally just, like, a mountain of birds. And then, like, two months later, they were selling them for 3 bucks. You know what I mean? Like, that that number was a mistake. Like, you don't want to get on board there. You need to have a data-driven approach where you're taking a look at what everybody's doing and you make the best decisions that you can. And, I mean, it's a specialty. It's not something that everybody has the, the time, energy, or expertise to do. So, I mean... I, I just kinda let I'm i I'm fairly libertarian in a lot of ways or laissez-faire or liberal or whatever you want to call it. Like let everybody do what they want to do, the market's gonna sort it out. You know, if people aren't adding value, if people don't wanna go to a store, if people don't wanna support a store, that's okay. Like that's mm-hmm. that's just going to give them the signal to go do something that people value more, which is really what we should all want. We should all want to end up in a position where what we're doing is something that is of great value to everyone around us. So why languish at a thing that's just not doing not, not living up to, you know, what your life could be? Like, why why stick at it just out of stubbornness? Like, I don't know. There's a lot of LGSs last about, you know, until their first lease is up, and then they reassess it, and they're like, yeah, this, this really isn't where we want to be. And you know, for me, like I, like I said, the, with the size space that I bought, I went into this with you know kind of the humblest possible intentions, and I've just been overwhelmed by the support. I mean, I, I would not have imagined that we'd have sixty person events here. I'm I'm just blown away by the the support from the community, and to have the the Wednesday night legacy continue from scholars, and the Friday night legacy now uh, being a thing here is is just really. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to, to see the community coming together like that. I I couldn't be more pleased with it.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So kind of wrapping it up. We're nearing the hour mark here. If, uh, You know, someone wanted to start their own LGS somewhere in the country. I know it's a dream a lot of Magic players have. You know, if they're not super competitively focused, uh, I've noticed a common theme is that they want to open their store. You know, my friends have joked, you know, if we ever hit the Powerball, we're all going to retire and open up a bar store combo and just hang out there for the rest of our lives. But for people wanting to make an actual business of it, what's one piece of advice that you would give them? I'd say listen to the market. Like you,
1: if you're making money buying and selling magic cards and you're paying your mortgage and you want to up your game, that's that's something to consider. But if you're not able to turn over cards and don't have the uh the payroll, or, I'm sorry, the bankroll or the skill set to make that happen, um I would say you got to you got to get that skill set. Go go team up with somebody that knows what they're doing. Go work as a, a dealer at GPs. You know, Do whatever you got to do to actually get to the point where the market demands that you open up an LGS. That would be my advice. You know, I, I would not recommend trying to create demand, you know, trying to do something and be like, oh, we're going to lose money month after month, but eventually it's going to turn around. You know, just get to the point where people are, are asking you. But my most common response when I opened this store was it was about time. I can't tell you how many people said that they're like, "Oh, you finally did it, huh?" <laughs> like, yes, because people knew I was I was putting it off because it's such a commitment, and you know I w- I always enjoyed being able to you know there'd be uh, you know in two thousand eight you know I I went to a, a big tournament in Spain because there was you know a Black Lotus up for grabs for first and second, and I went and I won a Black Lotus and I came home and I was like I loved the ability to do that. You can't do that as easily when you have a store, you know. Now you're shutting down. Landlords don't take magic cards for. For, pe- uh, for rent apparently which you know they probably should have said before uh, you know we, we finalized the deal but no that, that's the reality is you and that's why I can't go to the the leaving a legacy as much as I'd love to like I, I need to be open I've only got f- a few weekends a month here so I've got to make sure that I've got people here and that we're doing something it just you know will be a different format um, and you know different players but yeah you, you've you've really got to listen to the market and if if people are begging you to do it, then go ahead. But if, if you're thinking that you're going to open it up and people are going to flock to you when you're not currently successful, um, I would be very hesitant of that. It's, I've seen a lot of people lose a lot of money chasing, at best, a middle-class lifestyle. Like, at the end of the day, and the LGS side of things, like buying and selling you know, board games and booster boxes and all that side of things, I mean that's that's kind of middle class at best. Like you're not gonna get wealthy just reselling that. Now you're talking about singles, if you have a big bankroll. Yeah, you, you could you can make some real money. You you can absolutely get clientele and, and have people that are looking to invest, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars a year and you can make sure that you're always taking care of them and you can build that clientele over the years. Uh but yeah, that's that's my advice is just listen to the market if If they're demanding that you open a store and, you know, there's actual shut up and take my money going on, go for it. But otherwise, you know, start making some money buying and selling cards. If you can buy cards and then wholesale them to the highest bidder and build a customer base where you're selling, you know, the, the cards that are super hot that you have no problem moving, then
0: go ahead. Nice. Good advice. So, ELD Time Vault Games out in Bellingham, Massachusetts. Uh, What about, uh, where can people find, uh, like, Old God stuff? Like, where can people find your stuff, Eric?
1: So, right now, uh, we've got the website ELDstimeVaultGames.com, which is largely for our events and pre-ordering on uh, those events. So, if we do, like, the Team Trio event, there was only a handful of tickets available because it's, like, 20 teams uh, so that's where they buy it. There will be some uh, items on there periodically, uh, but right now we don't have a production line. So most of what we're doing with leather playmats and deck boxes and that is a commission. So you can actually message the store either at ELD's Time Vault Games at Gmail or go on Facebook, same name, message us there. And we are happy to take commissions. We've we've done a bunch of leather playmats, and like I said, we're we're starting to do more of the wooden deck boxes as well, uh, and of course, if you're ever looking for high-end magic cards or really any magic cards at all, either I have them or I can get them for you in same avenue, email, or through the Facebook page. Very easy. You can always text as well. Our, our phone number's on there. That actually goes right to my cell phone, and I will uh, get to that as long as it's not one in the morning. Then it'll be the next morning. <laughs> I actually do have some clients that message me. It's just like one in the morning. They're super stoked about a deck list, <laughs> and I wake up and I'm like, wow, like that's. Alright, <laughs> we'll see how this goes I, I, yep. I don't think Desperate Research is going to break OmniTel But we'll we'll see
0: <laughs> Nice, awesome uh, Well, cool, before we get Out of here, we're going to skip our, our usual Closeouts, because Pat's not here, he's the organized One of the bunch, so uh, All our Patreon subscribers and stuff You guys are going to get shout outs on the next episode Because I don't have the list in front of me But one tradition we are going to continue as always is our scoops and poops uh so eric what this is is uh each week we kind of just say something uh a scoop into top eight which is just someone you want to shout out call attention to you know good thing you know send good vibes to and then poops is just something that's uh grinding your gears
1: all right so scoops i'm gonna go broad and then narrow it down a little bit the community here at ELD's time vault games uh they've just been incredibly supportive and it's made this past year just a really wonderful experience to narrow it down congratulations to the ELD open winners most recently Eli Hannon just took down our legacy open with Bug Delver uh looked really strong all day and uh yeah he's he's a heck of a player it's nice to see him succeeding
0: I was actually reading that on Reddit the other day, actually. Uh, people have been taken to Reddit to uh, post some tournament reports from the ELD events, which I've been really liking to read since I can't uh, make it there in person with my busy schedule. It's nice to live uh, vicariously through the Reddit posts.
1: Yeah, that was really sweet. It was actually the, uh, the number one trending topic on the uh, MTG Legacy subreddit, so that's always sweet. exciting to see.
0: Hell yeah. Uh, what, about, uh, what about Poops? Poops? I think this lack of
1: dialogue, I hate to get, you know, in the realm of politics, but you know, right now I'm seeing a real breakdown with people not being able to to talk to family members, friends, and a lot of these political views are based off of people's temperaments. At the end of the day, when someone's left-leaning or right-leaning, a lot of the time that's actually just an emotional response, and if we have a little bit more compassion and we have that dialogue, that's what makes society work. At the end of the day, everybody has these different things that they're concerned with and they're all valuable and when people talk together and come up with a plan that addresses everybody's concerns, that's really where society improves. So, you know, we just came off of the holidays, all sorts of horror stories with people being unable to, you know, talk with, with people that they've known a long time and, you know, just a little bit of compassion, a little bit of understanding and, and finding a way to have a dialogue I think is is super important. So, That's that's really the only thing that I'm seeing out there right now that I'm I'm really concerned with is that breakdown of the the conversation, because whether you're leaning left or leaning right your your concerns are likely very valid, uh, but they're not the only concerns and solutions are very rarely one dimensional.
0: Nice. Awesome. Uh, For my scoops and poops, my scoop is actually commissioned this week. Uh, Jason down in Tennessee, he wanted to give a shout out to uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Justin Mullins, because Pat and I were talking about this on the episode a little while ago, that uh, one of the big keys of having a strong legacy community is having those one or two people in the community that really care about it and really want it to succeed. And uh, Jason asked me to give a shout out to Justin Mullins because Justin is that individual. For the Tennessee Legacy scene, Um, Justin has I think like twelve or thirteen Legacy decks at this point that he just lends out to people for their FMs. So he's like single-handedly making sure that the Legacy scene stands, uh, you know, stays really vibrant down there, which is awesome. So that is awesome. Yeah, I wanted to also give Justin a shout out, but Jason, thanks for uh, bringing it to my attention. Uh, uh, Justin's great. I got a chance to hang out with him when I uh, went down there for a business trip, and uh, it's a great crew down there. So. Uh, you know, Eric, you're doing it with ELD, making sure there's always a place for people to play. And there's, you know, tons of unsung heroes around the world who are, uh, you know, really making sure legacy and vintage and the other eternal formats uh, stay alive and, and are vibrant. For my poops, my poops is the post-holiday schedule. I came back uh, to work after you know weeks of Christmas and New Year's, and I basically came into an office of about like three hundred emails waiting for me. So I am I'm not looking forward to getting back into the swing of things post-holidays. I
1: think you're you're not alone there. Yeah,
0: (laughs) but that about does it for this week's episode of Leaving a Legacy. Uh, Just a reminder, February first we have the Leaving a Legacy Open. Going to be a great time. We've been emailing a bunch of artists. We're going to try and get some uh, artists uh, appearing for the first time, doing some signings and uh, selling some magic art. Uh, We got some food trucks lined up. We got you know the tournament as always. We're doing the Legacy Unchained side event which is a no ban list legacy. Uh, You know, it's always a ton of fun. Come on down and hang out with us. Uh, It'll be great. We'll stream it uh, as always. Uh, But yeah, February 1st, the next leaving legacy open. And uh, Eric, when's the next uh, ELD tournament? So we've got the team trio coming up on the 12th.
1: And I believe right now we're only taking standby. So there's legacy there. And then we're going to have a legacy event the weekend after yours in, in February.
0: Wow, so that's February seventh?
1: I believe so, yeah. I've I've got to get that up on the calendar. Initially it was penciled in for for the same weekend, so I've I've shifted that over.
0: Awesome. Sweet. So yeah, if uh if you wanna get even more legacy action, make sure you stop by ELD game, uh, Time Vault Games in Bellingham uh and get some sweet legacy action and uh win yourself a sweet leather playmat. Awesome. Uh we'll call it there. <laughs>
1: all right so poops i gotta say i, I heard the the post fallout from when i played pat i i don't know if i don't know what he told you but he came here to the store played him with cephalid breakfast and apparently he's got a very emotional connection with laboratory maniac And I I did have that particular kill in there. And when we sat down, because it's a meme deck, I said, hey, when I beat you with this deck, what's the name of the podcast going to be? And, you know, I thought I was like, wow, it's good that the healing has finally happened and he can have me on. And I can't wait to talk to him about it. And then he's not here. So I don't know what he needs to do to get over this. Uh, but I just, I just want him to know that there was, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand the depths of his trauma surrounding that particular wizard. And I, if I had known, I would have played the other kill. I, I would have used, I just would have used a, a, uh, a completely different kill there's there's, there's tons of different options so it's
0: (laughs) it's a funny story when when i was talking to pat earlier today he's like hey i don't know if i am going to be able to make it tonight i have this this union meeting that i have to go to and i immediately just said man are you that afraid of laboratory maniac (laughs) 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 and he just started cracking up
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right man thanks for having me this was Uh, awesome
0: hell yeah hell yeah thanks for coming